This podcast is brought to you by Free Lunch Coffee. Free Lunch Coffee is on a mission to end child hunger around the world. With every bag of coffee you buy, you are supporting a child to get a meal for two weeks as they give away 50% of their profits to help underprivileged kids. Use the coupon code ALLTHINGSGOOD to get 10% off at freelunchcoffee.com. Listening to the All Things Good podcast. Hello and welcome to the ATG, ATG podcast. Today I'm joined by Hunter Michael Shepard. Hunter is a recovering addict, and we are happy to have him on the show today. Hunter, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here with you guys. So yeah, me too, man. Me too. Uh, so you know, I, I mentioned you know you're a recovering addicts. Uh, you know, me and you talked off camera. You know, it was heroin, you know, mask, just you know, kind of when you name it, whatever you got your hands on. Uh, you want to kind of just maybe tell people a little bit of how that all started, and kind of maybe start at the beginning of the story. Yeah. So. You know, where I grew up at, um, you know, I'm from like the epicenter of the uh, the opiate epidemic. So it's not like uncommon for like people that like I grew up with or like pretty, it's just such a common thing. Um, you know, I'm from I'm from the border of Ohio and West Virginia. Um, we have like the, the two highest overdose rates in the United States. So it's it's super common in there, you know, um, re- really. Uh, everywhere in the United States, it's it's common now. Right. So um, for me, it started whenever I was 12 years old. Uh, I was drinking and uh, and smoking, you know, just really experimenting. Um, growing up, I wasn't like overly like happy like with myself, and you know, I was bullied, and uh, you know, I just I hated how I looked, and I, I was uh, different. You know, I I was strange in comparison to other people uh, where where I grew up at. And uh, cause I'm from like a really small town. Um, so everybody knows everybody. And, you know, at 12 years old, I start smoking and drinking and, you know, there was definitely like some like early, like mental health issues going on. Uh, so a mixture of like mental health and uh, drugs, it's just a terrible mixture. And I became very angry. You know, I was, I was a very angry young man and I, I got arrested for the first time at 12 years old. So, you know, a mixture of being in a small town and mental health and drugs and going to jail, that's a terrible mixture, you know, like I stood out a lot and I was, I felt like I was a lot different than people that I grew up with. So, you know, uh, you know, moving forward in life, like I just continued to get in trouble, uh, whether it was at school or at home, I ended up in jail a lot. I was on probation. I constantly failed drug tests. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, I spiraled out of control. Uh, by the time I was 16 years old, um, I had already tried heroin for the first time and, uh, I experimented with other drugs like psychedelics, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to go into detail, but I experimented with a lot of different drugs, you know? And, uh, so by the time I'm 16, uh, you know, I used heroin for the first time. Um, and luckily I was on uh, felony probation, juvenile probation, and I was on the run. 
So it was, it was kind of like a situation where, you know, I didn't care already. Um, and then I knew that I was going to fail a drug test. So I just went on the run from my, from my PO. And the next day they caught up to me where I was at the house that I was hiding at. And, uh, you know, it probably saved my life at that point in time, being 16 and using, using heroin already. So then I end up in juvenile prison, which in Ohio, I mean, it's pretty bad. Juvenile prison in Ohio is definitely uh, not, not the place to be, you know. Um, so <clears throat> whenever I got out, um, you know, I was just I was just turning 18 and uh, I start and I was on parole. So I started using this drug uh, that, that most people know it as like spice. But uh, back in the day, it was called K2. And it's like a, it's supposed to be like a synthetic like marijuana, but that's not what it is. It's like a really, really strong and addictive drug. Right. So and it causes like these really bad like side effects. Like it's, it's so bad. Um, it's way more addicting than heroin and meth and all of that. Right. So I'm on parole. And at the time I could pass a drug test with it. So I started smoking it. And at the time it was illegal or it was legal. So it was very easily accessible. Um, and it was extremely cheap and we were getting it from like the people that like made it. So we were selling it. So it literally never ran out. So I got really, really bad into it. Right. And um then eventually it became illegal so whenever it became illegal you know i just graduated back to uh even though i was still on parole i graduated back to using uh heroin and then eventually meth and for me meth is what brought me to my knees i mean it literally like broke me um spiritually and mentally and in every aspect it broke me so that's when i i got to the point where i really like decided that i wanted to get help um, and from that point on, over the next six years, um, I tried different like rehabs and I would, I was stuck like in this cycle of rehab, clean time, relapse, rehab, clean time, relapse. So it just like, I went to like seven different rehabs, six or seven different rehabs. And it was in the last time that that happened, um, I had had five months clean and uh so I'm, I'm healthy again and i'm feeling good and life is good and just you know how and i but i wasn't like focusing on my recovery i put like my girlfriend first i put my job first uh and i lost all of that you know i lost my job and i lost my girlfriend all in a matter of like a week and i wasn't prepared so i i made the choice to relapse one last time and three weeks later i had lost 45 pounds because of the meth. I hadn't slept. I hadn't ate. I hadn't drank anything like barely for three weeks straight. So, uh, you know, a mixture of me not eating and drinking and sleeping, um, plus the drugs that I was doing, uh, it just, I was super unhealthy anyway. And then this person decided to give me bad drugs intentionally to try to kill me. Um, or whatever, whatever she was doing, she was trying, she was trying to hurt me, you know, and, you know, I, I, it, uh, she poisoned me with a drug called Flocka, which is like another synthetic drug. It's like a big thing. Um, you know, it's a big thing right now and it looks identical to meth. So I thought that I was doing meth, you know, and I did all of it, what she gave me. And I woke up three days later. I was literally blacked out for three days, hallucinating. Um, my parents 
you know, at, um, you know, at 20, I was 23 at the time. So at 23 years old or 24 years old, um, you know, I'm blacked out hallucinating and my parents have to like literally help me shower, help me change my clothes. And I slept in between my parents for three days straight because I was terrified. I was hallucinating, seeing like the craziest stuff you can imagine. I mean, it was terrifying. Right. Yeah, and sure. It was extremely painful physically. Like it felt like my insides were on fire, right? So uh, whenever I came out of it, um, my parents, because they've dealt with this enough and they've actually helped a lot of people themselves by sharing my story and their story, um, they knew that I needed to go back to rehab. Um, so whenever I come out of it, I'm extremely unhealthy. Like I was so sick from... Uh, not doing drugs, like I was going through withdrawal, but at the same time, this girl poisoned me. So like my body was just like done and I was just like spiritually broken. And my, my dad looked at me before they put me on the plane. I remember where we were, we were in a steak and shake in Columbus, Ohio, um, waiting for me to get on my plane. And he looked at me and he said like, you know, do you want to be buried or cremated? Because if you don't stop, like, that's the only options, you know, like that was literally the only options that I had, uh, or get clean. And I, I have a, a daughter who's now seven and I've been clean for going on three years. So at the time, you know, she was, uh, four. Um, and you know, I made the conscious decision at that point in time that I wanted to be clean and I wanted to stay clean. And uh, so that that's like the addiction. That's like the dark side of, right. of my life. You know, like it's a lot more in depth than that. And yeah. a lot of stuff happened. A lot of uh, really traumatic stuff happened. And I hurt a lot of people when I did a lot of bad stuff, you know. Um, was there ever and, like a was there ever like a, a point? I mean, I know like when you were using, you probably don't, you know, like you said, you blacked out sometimes. You don't really maybe remember as much. But do you remember like a certain point where you you just knew you had f fallen off the ledge and you're like, I need I need help. Like, you know, because, you know, I've talked with a lot of people who help homeless people who help, you know, recovering addicts. And, you know, it's like nobody wants to be an addict. Right. So it's like at some point you kind of like come to whether it's self-realization or someone pulls you out of rock bottom. Uh, what was the kind of point for you when you kind of realized that you were just you know, hurting yourself and you needed help? <clears throat> well, uh, you know, like I said, like, at that point, like, like, at the beginning of the six years that I was like, in this cycle of like rehab and, and stuff, um, I knew that I was headed in the wrong direction. Um, but it's just like one of those things for like an addict, it's like, literally, uncontrollable like you have this like uncontrollable urge to like use you know so even though I wanted to like be clean and I knew it was a problem it was like you know I just like wasn't spiritually fit enough to like not want to get high and that's what it comes down to um I just wasn't well like I was sick mentally and I just kept like feeding my addiction you know um, but at the same time, I knew that I had a problem. Right. And yeah. like, you know, I, I always wonder, like, for you, what do you think, like, kind of was like, I mean, I know you kind of touched on it, but like, you know, a lot of people say marijuana is 
the gateway drug. But for me, I think it's more so alcohol in terms of, um, I mean, I know kind of both, but, you know, I think a lot of people start with alcohol, they get drinking and then next thing you know, they're like, I want to try the next big thing. And what, what, what would you kind of say is like the kind of start of all that? Well, see, I, I don't think it matters what, what substance necessarily. Um, I think, you know, I'm a very strong believer that there's two different kinds of people. There's people who can socially drink and socially smoke marijuana and socially do, you know, stuff like that and live a normal life. Um, but then there's people that are the exact opposite, like me. Like if I decide to smoke weed, it's going to affect my life just as much as if I was doing heroin. Um, you know, it's, it's not about the substance. It's about me being a, uh, I'm a very obsessive and uncontrollable person whenever I put substances in, in my body. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know like some people like that, that they, you know, once they get going on it, it's, it's, they just go, you know, it's kind of, they just go full throttle with it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Uh, can you remember like what was, you know, I know you mentioned your dad kind of said that, you know, do you want to be buried or cremated? Uh, you know, can you, do you remember like a specific time where it was just like the lowest point, like the lowest maybe moment or story for you where, um, you know, you were just kind of going through it and you're just like, uh, maybe like, I don't want to live anymore. Maybe, you know, I'm hurting people around me too much or, you know, what was the lowest point for you? Oh, it, it was definitely, um, it was definitely when I, I took that drug, the, what, you know, Flocka or whatever it was that she gave me. But um, it, it was, it was like, you know, I had never and still have never experienced a pain, physical and mental pain, like what I experienced at that point in time. And, you know, for me, I feel like that was like, I needed that, you know, um, I needed that wake up call. But it was literally like it broke me completely. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. And it was like my lowest moment where honestly, like it wasn't that I wanted to die. Like I genuinely thought that I was dying. It hurt so bad. Like I couldn't even, ex it's so hard to explain how I felt. It was miserable. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So like, I know you're, you know, you, you know, you've been, uh, what is it? Two and a half years sober now about, or a little bit more so. Um, here in a few days, it'll be a thousand, it'll be a thousand days. That's awesome, man. That's great. Yeah. Uh, what is kind of, you know, cause I know you're a big advocate, you know, for people getting sober and, and stuff like that. What is kind of like the biggest misconception that people have about, you know, addicts, you know, cause I think it's kind of unfortunate society seems to kind of, uh, you know, label people who are addicts or kind of sweep it under the rug instead of helping them. But, you know, what is kind of the most common misconception you see and how can how can people help? Well, it's like, you know, what what really bothers me the most is like people think that this only happens to like certain kind of people. Like you have to be like a bad person to become an addict. And it's like it doesn't really make sense to me because it's like, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from or like the color of your skin or like how much money you make. Like it literally happens to anybody. And it's just like one of those things that it's like, literally like, you know, you can be the richest person in the world and be depressed. Like it's, it's literally a, a disorder, you know, it's a, it's a brain disorder. So 
it bothers me when people like just like automatically assume that if like you're an addict that like your parents raised you wrong or like you're from like a bad place or something like that you know right yeah and it's so. kind of like you know going back to the depression thing it's kind of like um you know you could be having everything or people think in their eyes that you have everything going good for you but then you take you know take that one hit of meth or you know heroin or you know whatever it is and now your life's changed you know and like i think a lot of people like you said they think it's just this constant cycle when it could be just one day that just ruins it for you oh yeah absolutely um it, it, it almost always you know from my experience and I, and I help a lot of people you know um it almost always comes just from experimenting you know, just being curious. Uh, and, and a lot of the times, you know, it does come from drugs like alcohol, you know, and uh, you, you never know, like, what what's going to happen in your life. Like, say you get like in like a car crash or something and you get prescribed to like pain, pain right. pills or something, yeah, you know, true. that's something that's super common, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what was so, you know, I know you've been sober for, you know, quite some time now. What was the point when you got sober was it your parents that pulled you out of that or was it kind of like a friend or a family member and how did they do that because I know uh, I know we briefly touched on it but I feel like it's a lot harder than people think you know to get sober like in your case I mean it's it's easier you know because you said you relapsed a few times it's easier said than done to then just go to rehab and then now all of a sudden you're just fine you know i think a lot of people think that oh why doesn't he just go to rehab or something it's not that easy so what was right. kind of like the thing that like pulled you to that sustainability of being sober i'm gonna i'm gonna turn my light on real quick all right yep all right all right that's better awesome all right um yeah so <clears throat> um well, really, like every time for me, like it's been voluntary, but like I had people in my life that were supportive and like pushed me in the right direction, you know, whether that's like friends or family, you know, or like people at church or like people in the recovery community that like my family reached out to. Like overall, like I received like a great deal of support. But the thing is, I was looking for the support. You know, it's not like uh you know, like somebody came and got me and said, Hey, this is what you need to do. Like, which they did. Like my parents always like pushed me in the right direction, you know? Um, but like when it came down to it, I was like, okay, what do I need to do to get better? Mm -hmm. You know? Right. And, and, you know, how is that kind of, you know, that you've, now that you've been sober, you know, for over a couple of years, how has that kind of, you know, been for you in terms of like, you know, I'm sure you just see everything, a lot more positive and it's just kind of been you know i know you have a, a daughter you said uh fiance now i believe uh, yeah. so how is that and, and, and another baby on the way and another baby on the way awesome how <laughs> yeah. is how has that you know been for you in terms of you know like kind of going from your darkest times to now you know you're doing great it seems like yeah i mean it, it there still have been times like in recovery like see the thing is now I have a lot of emotion, you know, um, right. whenever you go from doing drugs and suppressing your emotions for like 10 years to like, you know, actually happening to like feel, um, I mean, it's definitely like, like there have been times when I've been super depressed and, and anxious and stuff, but like, you know, I know now that like my life is beautiful. Um, 
regardless of how I feel or what I'm going through, um, or whether I have like some like hardships or something. Um, I know now that like my life is so much better than before. Like I don't have to escape from anything. I just deal with it. You know, I, I find ways to, to cope with it. And, um, for me, you know, like, like coping with it, like, is like me, I go to meetings, you know, and, um, you know, I like to help people and, and that really helps me cope with like, it, it gets me out of myself to, to be able to help people, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's uh you know, it's a great story that you have. Uh, would you, would you say like, you know, you said you're kind of, you know, you can be depressed at times or like maybe at the beginning of your recovery. Do you think that's because of like, you know, the dopamine from the drugs that you kind of just like, you know, because I know some drugs have that effect, like Molly or something that you yeah. know, say you're doing it. And then the next day you're like, my life sucks. But it's really just because you don't have the same feeling from the drugs. So how did you kind of combat that in terms of like knowing that it is going good for you? You just know it's not the drug that. Yeah. So um, and you're right. It's especially like meth. Um, I'm pretty sure that meth raises your dopamine levels more than any other any other drug and that's part of why it's so addicting because you're like constantly chasing chasing that like you know that feeling um and then whenever it's gone like your brain is just like depleted and you're like miserable you know um for me like i think that like getting out in nature um you know and uh working out that's huge like in early recovery like get in the gym and eat right um and because if you take care of your body you're gonna feel better than like if you're not taking care of your body and your mind and stuff um so yeah i mean you just have to like do something uh to naturally raise those those levels you know right yeah, yeah and, and and how is like you know i know you're your sounds like your family has you know it's awesome that they've kind of been there for you you know i don't think uh, a lot of people have those resources unfortunately these days uh, how has your kind of relationship with your your family like grown through all this? Yeah, no, th things are great. Um, you know, me and my dad used to fight a lot, which we still like, we're so much alike that we still kind of like bump heads. But now like we're both like a little bit more like spiritually fit that like we can like have a disagreement and be mad at each other for a little while. And then like, everything's cool, you know, but uh, you know, I'm a dad now, like I can actually be there. Like, even though I'm in England right now, my parents are helping me with my daughter. Like she knows why I'm here. And like, I have a great relationship with her and stuff. So, um, but yeah. And then, and then what you said about like the resources and stuff, like even if, okay. So the thing about the recovery community is like, even if you don't have family, like the recover the people in the recovery community will treat you like family. So like you can literally like have nobody in the world and walk into like a meeting or like go to like a treatment facility if you need it. And like you have family there, they will treat you like family. And I know that for sure because I'm part of it, you know? Right. No, that's, yeah. that's awesome. And you know, like what would be your advice to any family members or someone who like, it's close with, you know, an addict, because I think like, um, in terms of conception and perspective, what kills people is, you know, the addicts they're used to seeing are the ones who are sitting on the, the side of the road or, you know, like asking them for money or like maybe trying to fight them on the streets. And, yeah. you know, we need to 
know that that's not everybody, you know, and maybe those people need help too, but nobody's giving it to them. Maybe they don't have the resources. Uh, so what would be your advice to someone like who's kind of close with someone who's going through that? <clears throat> well, uh, you know, first off, like, I'm not saying to like be hard on them, but you have to like set boundaries. You have to set boundaries. Like, no, I will not give you money to get high. Like, no, I will not give you rides or let you use my car. You know, stop. You have to be firm because the thing is, and this is like one of the most like real quotes, like in recovery, like you can literally love an addict to death. Like, like it's so hard because like, people that love addicts uh, are very codependent, you know, you develop like this codependency where you feel like, you know, um, it's all, it's an addiction as well. You feel like you have to take care of them and you have to know what's going on with them and you have to support them. But, you know, uh, there's a very fine line between enabling and supporting, like you have to like set those boundaries and let them know, like, listen, like if you need like, to eat something or you need like water or like you need like clothes or like somewhere to stay, then I'll give you those things. But this is like what you have to do. And like, I'm not going to enable you getting, you know, I'm not going to enable you getting high. And if they take advantage, like say like, you know, if you're, if you're like a parent of an addict and your kids are like living in your house and they're, they're stealing from you uh, or, or, you know, they're taking advantage of you, then you need to like cut that out completely and say, listen, like either you're going to be homeless or you're going to get help. And that's the only options because in reality, imagine like you're enabling your, your child and then they get high in your house and they overdose and something happens to them in your house. Like it's going to happen either way. You don't want to help them do it, you know? Right. Yeah. Is it, yeah. it kind of like a, uh, like a drain the swamp type moment where you kind of just like, you have to cut off all their resources that, you know, you know, they love, but they, you know, I mean, cause the main goal for them is probably to get high, but if they can't survive doing other things, then it might cut down on them using. Yeah. So uh, the way I see it is like, say, cause I've been homeless before. My parents were like straight, like whenever they realized that they were like enabling me, they were like, we're done. Like you can sleep outside for all we care. And it like really like pushed me in the right direction because there's a difference between having somewhere, a roof over your head and getting high. You're comfortable. You know, what's going on, you know, like, you know, where you're going to sleep and it makes it comfortable. But whenever you're like sleeping in a car in a McDonald's parking lot, like with like nothing, like, that's extremely uncomfortable and it, it makes it easier to want recovery, you know? Yeah. Yeah. definitely. Yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, just a little bit of tough love is, is necessary. And I think you made a great point. Kind of like you can literally love an addict to death. And so, uh, yeah. When I thought, uh, so one question I, I, I like to ask, which I'm going to ask a lot of people at the end of podcast now is, uh, for you, what, what, what defines happiness? Um, what defines happiness? I think that, um, you know, love is the center of happiness for me. Like, you know, like being with people that I love, you know, it's all about people and connection. Happiness is connection and love for me. Like, you know, like if you're lonely, um, and, and you're like cut off, like any connection from other people, you're probably not going to be happy, but whenever you're like surrounded with people that you love and you have connection with other people, you're going to be happy in, in my opinion, at least, you know? 
No, very well said. And I think uh, love might have been, you know, what helped you, you know, in terms of family, you know, fiance, your your kids. So um, I definitely think, you know, you're spot on with that. So, uh, you know, I want to thank you for coming on the, the podcast today. Uh, for everyone listening, uh, Hunter Michael Shepard. Uh, is there any way people can, you know, reach out to you? I know you kind of help out with people. So is there any way they could, you know, if anyone watches this and they or, you know, an act themselves or they need help. Can they reach out to you at, you know, any point? Yeah, they can, they can get a hold of me at any point in time. Um, you know, like you said, Hunter, Michael, Shepard, I, I do that. So it's easier to find me. Um, my phone number is in my bio, but they can message me. And, uh, you know, I have literally resource, state resources and free resources for every single state. And I have resources in England. So like, no matter what, um, if you're willing, then I can help you, but you have to be willing. Like, you know, that's just what it comes down to. So. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we'll just make sure to we'll tag you on Instagram. So people can, you know, if they want to put your profile, reach out that, you know, yeah. you help. All right, man. Awesome. Yeah. And well, I, I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast today. It was great talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me.